so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to Weekly Tech, a new technology podcast focused on navigating this digital age with wisdom. Each Monday, we dive into the most pressing and talked about technology stories in order to keep you up to date and prepared for your week ahead. Weekly Tech is brought to you by the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. As always, alongside this podcast, we have the email newsletter version of Weekly Tech that you can subscribe to at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. You can also grab the links of the stories we talk about in the show notes where you subscribe to this podcast. On today's interview on Weekly Tech, we talked to Pastor Jay Kim about his new book, Analog Church, Why We Need Real People, Places, and Things in This Digital Age. J.Y. Kim is a pastor of teaching and leadership at Vintage Faith Church in Santa Cruz, California. He also serves on the core leadership team of the Regeneration Project and co-hosts the Regeneration Podcast. He lives in Silicon Valley with his wife and two children. This was a really fun conversation that I had with Pastor Kim talking about the role of technology in our life. A book's publication date often is set very far in advance when you sign a contract as an author, and it usually feels really far away and distant. But sometimes you read a book like J. Kim's Analog Church that comes out at the exact right time. Uh, this book came out in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. It wasn't something that Jay originally planned for or even his publisher planned for, Um, but his book is especially helpful for helping us navigate this digital age in light of the way that God calls us uh, to be his image bearers and to gather together as the local church and community. Uh, So I really encourage you to check out his book, Analog Church, um, and just want to welcome him to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Jason, so much for having me. As we get started, I want to, I know a lot of listeners might not be familiar with you and the ministry that you do. Um, So can you kind of introduce us to yourself a little bit and tell us a little bit about why you wrote this book and why you wrote it now? Sure. Yeah. I um, live and serve in a local church here uh, in the Bay Area of California, San Francisco Bay Area, south of San Francisco. But um, generally speaking, I live and serve and have most of my life lived and um, all of my ministry life served in local churches here in the Silicon Valley, which is, you know, the the epicenter or the hub of digital technology. So all that means is that I've been surrounded by um, friends, family, people in our churches who uh, spend their waking hours, you know, creating some of the stuff that we find ourselves um, so enmeshed in with with digital technology. So I've always been fascinated by it. I've always uh, appreciated it to a certain extent. And uh, and then the last 16 years or so, I have um, served and, and led in local churches, uh, several local churches here in the area. And so 
it was sort of a natural progression of things, you know, uh, my interest in digital technologies and then my deep love and commitment to the local church and um, just found myself at an intersection between those two things about five or six years ago uh, and found myself asking lots of questions about, you know, um, churches sort of headlong jumping into all things digital for the sake of relevance and reach and asking questions about how that might actually be forming us and and um, maybe unforming and reforming us in a variety of ways. And so, yeah, those ideas just kept snowballing. And uh, here we are, you know, with the book. Yeah, well, I I know I want to encourage listeners to grab a copy of this book. It's really encouraging to me. It was really challenging to me. I consider myself kind of a technology optimist, uh, one who's very excited about the prospect of technology and how we can utilize it. Uh, but doing so wisely uh, within limits and seeing these technologies as tools uh, to be able to use in our personal lives, those in our communities, but especially in our churches. Um, and in God's timing, your book came right out in the middle of a pandemic. That's uh, not something you can plan for uh, by any means. Uh, and I know that was kind of an interesting time for you uh, because you didn't write this book in light of a pandemic. Uh, you wrote it no. prior to that. And so right. can you kind of help us understand how maybe this book specifically speaks to this cultural moment um, and how it'll help us think rightly about technology, where so many of our churches and ministries are dependent on technology, even to gather, to hear the word preached, and to uh, even maybe even do small groups and things like that. We're utilizing technology at a rate that we never have in the local church. Uh, so how, do, how can your book help us and help us navigate some of those contours? Yeah, I mean, like you said, Jason, I, I wrote the book um, long before. I mean, you know, writing a book, as you well know, is a pretty long process. So these ideas came to life um, years, like literally years before we were, you know, hit with COVID-19 and everybody sheltering in place. Um, but I think, you know, there's, there's been an interesting sort of thing that's happened when when we were getting ready to release the book. That was right when... Um, we were beginning to shelter in place. And so I had some conversations with the publisher about how this might affect the release of the book. But in hindsight now, you know, um, several months later, uh, I'm really grateful that we were able to release the book in, in this time, uh, primarily because, you know, if there was anything I would want to say during this time of forced isolation and sheltering in place and um, leaning so heavily into digital realities to connect us, if there was anything I would want to say into this moment, it would be this book, which essentially, uh, and you mentioned it already, I am not arguing um, that we should all throw away our smartphones and laptops and live as Luddites and the Amish and churn our own butter or anything like that. Although, you know, if, if you want to churn your own butter, that's great. But um, what I am arguing for is the importance, the crucial importance of not just digital technologies, but all technologies, making sure that we place them in, in appropriate positions of influence and power over our lives, that, that truly we see them and utilize them as tools rather than, um, you know, when we're not careful, often these tools can begin to utilize us, you know, and, and that's certainly true of, of digital tech. So uh, especially in a time like this where we're online all the time and most of our connections are mediated by digital connection and, and online technology, uh, I just think it's all the more important that we pay attention um, to how our usage of the technology may be, uh, again, it, it impacting us and forming us uh, in some really crucial ways. 
Yeah, and I think that's a really helpful point for us to be taking is, and you really highlight this as kind of the main thesis of your book, or at least what I'm, I gathered from the book, was that digital informs and analog transforms, kind of that paradigm of digital informing and then analog transforming. Can you expand on that idea a little bit? You do th- so throughout the book, um, just helping listeners to kind of understand what you mean when you say that. Um, knowing that there's a lot of uses and good benefits to the digital, um, but it is, in your mind, kind of more of an information transfer rather than a transformation. Sure, yeah. I I think maybe an example I can use to sort of, um, you know, paint a picture of of the dichotomy here. You know, I have this love-hate relationship with uh, working out and being healthy. (laughs) And, you know, meaning I love being healthy, but hate working out. And, um, so I've, you know, for, for a long time, I've always sort of gone back and forth. I've had different seasons of my life where I had a gym membership and, um, often I would have a gym membership and then I would sort of get lazy and and stop going. And then I sort of justify it in my head and say, well, you know, I probably shouldn't pay. I don't go that much because I can just watch, you know, workout videos on YouTube for free. And, and that'll be that. So, uh, that's kind of a way to think about it. You know, I have found that uh, there's a difference between watching workout videos on on my phone or on the TV or whatever. Uh, there's a difference between that and then the visceral, very embodied experience of going to an actual place where I'm surrounded by other people who are also trying their best to physically do the work of, you know, transforming their bodies. And certainly it's not that we can't, you know, work out on our own at home. You certainly can. Um, but there's a reason why so many people like pay good money to have a membership at a gym and why so many people right now in the midst of coronavirus are grieving, you know, the, the, the fact that they can't go to their gym, even though they can still do the exercises at home. There's a sort of grieving process with that, man, I can't go to the gym and it's really bumming me out. Well, that, I think that sort of gets at it paints a little bit of the picture of what I mean. I think digital technologies can give us all the information we need. You know, I can watch the workout video and see exactly how I'm supposed to do the thing I'm supposed to do to get in shape. But for some reason, for a variety of reasons, really, um, there is there is a different, it's just something different happens to us on an emotional, psychological, and I would suggest even spiritual level when we actually physically show up to a place, when we're surrounded by the sights and sounds and shoulder to shoulder with other people who are going about the work of transformation, whether that's physical transformation of the body at a gym or um, the, the holistic transformation of our entire selves, you know, heart, soul, mind, and strength when it comes to showing up to the body of Christ to be transformed together. So that dichotomy is really important. It's a little bit nuanced, and I get into it in the book, but I do think it's something important to pay attention to, that digital is fantastic for uh, the exchange of information, but if you want to experience real transformation, there's just no substitute for the analog embodied um, the theological word would be incarnational thing, you know, where you're in the flesh, shoulder to shoulder with the body of Christ to be transformed into uh, the body of Christ together. Yeah, and so much of that transformation happens in community um, and living life with one another. And I love in the book you mentioned CrossFit, um, especially in terms of the gym, because some of the some of my friends who do CrossFit are avid uh, missionary and will share their witness about how uh, CrossFit's kind of transformed them. But it's all often it's a lot about the community that's built. 
uh, within these gyms and within these programs of people you're doing life together. I think you mentioned in the book uh, that you don't have, you know, AirPods in, you're not listening to music. It's that you're in there with one another, you're tired, you're worn out, but you're building community with one another. And you didn't talk a lot about it. So I assume you're not actually a CrossFitter yourself. I'm not definitely. <laughs> no, I'm, not. I'm, I'm more not, of a runner. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's that idea of building community. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, in our digital age, kind of the need uh, for local community, whether it's in the local church, but even in our neighborhoods um, and in our families, uh, the need for that, maybe in, especially in light of the kind of COVID pandemic where we've been isolated from one another, um, because I know a lot of people do talk about one of the hardest parts of this pandemic in terms of there's often job loss and economic downturn, sicknesses and health issues, but people long to be with one another. Um, so can you expand a little bit about that uh, on that kind of so topic of building community and especially that longing that we have in light of a lot of the digital connections we have? Yeah, sure. I mean, embodied people need embodied people, you know, and uh, there's a wide variety of psychological and emotional and physiological even reasons for that. But ultimately, you know, the simplest way to put it is that we are human beings are embodied creatures. And as embodied creatures, we need embodiment. We need real tactile, physical, uh, you know, the word I use obviously is analog things. And um, digital uh, mediums are, again, they're really great and helpful and efficient. Um but they're not enough. And if anything, you know, if, if this season of COVID-19 um, sheltering in place and hunkering down at home and living sort of isolated from the wider breadth of people in your life, if it's taught us anything, it's taught us this, as we're all now feeling this deep angst and this want and this desire to be with others, you know, it's not an option. It's to live in isolation is something less than human. And, um, we, we forgot that. We very quickly forgot that when meeting up in person was an option. You know, we, we so often began to see that option as a nuisance. It's like, well, it's all right. I, you know, I can just text you or I can just chat with you, uh, you know, online or wh whatever. We can just see each other on social media and interact that way. Um, but when that was taken away from us, when the, the option of being together in embodied ways was taken away, very quickly, you know, within days or at least weeks, um, people began to feel the real onset of digital fatigue. And that's a very real thing because as embodied human beings, we're actually not designed, we're not meant uh, to commune digitally. Like that's not a thing that our bodies and our minds and our hearts are built for. We actually need one another in, in actual real time, real space ways. And so we're feeling that right now. And I think when it comes to Christian community in particular, you know, one of the real uh, dangers, uh, I think, of the digital age and the way we think about community in the digital age is that when we think about our digital online experiences, the people we interact with and how we interact with them, it's all curated based on our own preferences and our own likes and dislikes. Um, and sometimes we do the curating, but often now it's like machine algorithms that do the curating for us. And it's an incredibly selective process. It's so easy for me to like or dislike someone online. It's so easy for me to follow or, or unfollow or block 
or mute. I mean, those are all mechanisms that I can, you know, make happen with the swipe of a finger, you know, or a push of a button. And, and that's just not, that, that is way too individualized and personalized and isolated um, to lead toward real transformation within the context of a community. Because I think community's greatest work in us is not when we find ourselves in the midst of people who are just like us, but rather we grow and transform in the midst of community um, when we are confronted by those who we otherwise would not choose in and of ourselves. And I think that's a part of Christian community is to show up to a place, to be in the midst of, and to journey alongside individuals that maybe you would not have um, on your own selected to be a part of your community. And yet here you are. And uh, so, you know, as soon as uh, we're able to gather up again in person, my hope and prayer is that people will um, do so with a renewed sense of gratitude that uh, even though church can be really hard, even though showing up can be really difficult, um, it matters, you know, and it matters uh, deeply in ways that are transformative in our lives. Yeah, and I think a lot of our listeners, especially those who serve in local church ministry or our lay leaders in ministry, um, in this season, we're reliant upon, we're uh, almost for in terms of survival uh, to still be able to gather together. Um, but even when you step out of this uh, season of a pandemic, there's a lot of times you hear these arguments that we need to adopt uh, various technologies in order to stay up with the cultural trends, um, in order to reach people, or even to be more like an Amazon or a Facebook in terms of how we use technology in our churches to build communities. I know you focus a little bit on that, but often I think church leaders want to use technologies for missional purposes. They want to reach people for Christ and they want to see that transformation. And so we employ these technologies in order to reach people. But you rightly point out in the book that maybe that's not what people want. Maybe they are looking for kind of a refuge from the digital age. Can you expand a little bit on that? I know you had a few kind of personal stories at the churches that you have served at where people are kind of looking for that respite or that refuge from the digital age and find life in, in the analog. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that there is a, when appropriately done, I think that there can be a really beautiful relationship between digital and analog. And, and you're getting at some of that here. You know, I do think that digital can and often is a, a really effective way um, to initiate and invite someone into the journey. Uh, like I said, digital is really great for um, the exchange of information. And so information is a part of the journey. People have to know, for example, you know, what you believe, what you're about, when you meet, where you meet, you know, what your community looks like, what, you know, all those sorts of things. I think that that's really great. But I think every church leader listening would agree that, you know, ultimately, our desire is not simply that people are well-informed, but that they experience real transformation on a deep level. And like I said just a few moments ago, I mean, I, I really think that transformation is an analog experience. It's a shoulder-to-shoulder, -shoulder, embodied, incarnational, in-the-flesh experience. And so I think that there's a way where we can leverage and utilize digital technologies to inform people, to invite them, even to inspire them to a certain extent, but then to invite them into spaces that are, um, the word I use in the book is transcendent, transcendent spaces that don't necessarily 
look, sound, and feel like everything else in their overly digitally saturated lives, right? And and I think that's one of the mistakes that um, I've made in the past and so many uh, church leaders um, have made and, and some continue to make, is that we think that in order to reach people, and in particular, in order to reach emerging generations, you know, younger people, we think that we have to be really relevant, like we have to be cool like them, and we have to be digitally savvy and sophisticated like them, and everything about our churches has to look, sound, and feel like their everyday pop culture digital lives. And what I've discovered in my conversations with people, I share some of those stories in the book, um, in particular, my conversations with, with younger people who are part of emerging generations, you know, if and when they take the risk to step foot into a church community or a congregation, most of the time, and again, I understand this is anecdotal, but I've had enough of these conversations to know that it's more than anecdotal, that there's something here. Most of the time, they're not interested in the church looking, sounding, and feeling just like everything else they experience in their everyday lives. They're not looking for a Christian version of a pop concert that they went to on Friday night. Most of the time, what they're looking for, especially emerging generations, is that they might discover something there in the church that they actually can't find anywhere else. You know, that, that and without even knowing the words or having the language, they're essentially looking for transcendence. They're looking for holiness, something that is other, something that feels set apart, that can offer them an alternative story and an alternative hope to the stuff that they're already really familiar with. And in the digital age, you know, I think one of the the most simply transcendent things we can do is to continue to invite people to gather in person when everything digital tells us uh, in person an embodied presence doesn't really matter. Um, there's lots of other things attached to that, obviously, but uh, there you go. That's just that's one idea. Yeah, and I think uh, for listeners, again, I really do encourage you to grab this book. It was really helpful for me. Uh, personally, but even in the ministry uh, that I heard of in our local church about thinking through how to utilize technology well um, and with wisdom and care. I think often, um, especially within Christian communities, you hear a lot of kind of railing against technology. Um, you don't do that in this book, which is encouraging to me. You do kind of strike that middle, that balance between using technologies for God's glory um, and embracing the tools for what they're designed to do and um, the best ways that they can help to lead toward deeper community and connection um, and learning about God's word. Um, but there's kind of that opposite stream where people kind of rail against technology, the dangers of technology, um, and you can kind of fall into a pitfall on each side. And so one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, what is that balance? Because I think often you hear leaders talk about the dangers and the pitfalls um, as we should just avoid technology outright. Uh, but then there is kind of that opposite of just embracing innovation for innovation's sake. I mean, I have conversations pretty regularly with churches thinking about utilizing facial recognition technology for knowing who's there and who's not, uh, for tracking people around. The, and they're they're wanting to use these tools, but not often with an understanding of why uh, and what's the purpose and what's kind of the ramifications of those decisions. Can you help us understand a little bit more of that balance between utilizing these tools, um, but also 
kind of keeping in mind about the best ways to use them? Yeah, sure. I mean, well, the first thing I would say is, Jason, I mean, you've done a lot of work along these lines. So I, I would actually point some folks back to you. you. You have such a thoughtful voice when it comes to particularly sort of the ethics of technology and, and what it means for us as followers of Jesus and the church. But um, so I'll just chime in with my, with my you know, a little two cents here. Um I, I guess a, a way to think about it for me, and this is sort of a broad stroke approach. Uh, it's a, it's an, it's some. Im- this is imagery I use in the book a little bit. Um, it's, it's been helpful for me to think about technology as a front door, uh, and to to consider that technology plays a crucially important part. Like the front door to my house is critically important. That's the door through which everybody comes in. You know, most people come in. Um, But, you know, for those relationships that are most meaningful. So like, uh, you know, think about my family or friends. I had a friend who who stopped by yesterday. You know, what, what I'm doing when those folks come to the front door is the front door is incredibly helpful for greeting them, saying hello. Um, it it allows that it's the point of reference when somebody shows up to my house. They're looking for the front door because that's the entry point. But when the relationship is meaningful, and when I want to, um, you know, invest time and energy into the relationship, then the front door is exactly that. It's simply the pathway to more meaningful spaces in the home. So, you know, what I'm looking for is not for us to linger at the front door, but rather to use the front door to walk in and to find ourselves, you know, on the couch in the living room or around the dining room table where we can share much more connective, intimate um, relationship with one another. You know, the people who stop at the front door and never come in are like, the Amazon delivery driver, you know, where I just say a polite hello and sign the paper and grab my package. And it's a, it's a, it's, it's an exchange of commodity, right? They have a product that I ordered that they are delivering to me. And I think the danger is if we focus all of our energy as church leaders on digital only, uh, again, digital is incredibly helpful, but if that's all we're focusing on and never inviting people into more intimate analog spaces where we can really have um, a, a deeper connection where we can journey uh, toward Jesus together and be transformed into his likeness together, then church essentially becomes a commodity exchange because that's what happens at the front door. Like if you never get past my front door, it's because you simply have come to deliver something that I receive or I have mail to give you so that you can deliver it elsewhere. Well, that's what happens often when digital is the only thing. People begin to think about church as an exchange of commodities, right? Or as a consumption of a, a particular product or content. That's that's the great challenge, I think, right now of living in a world where all churches are only streaming online. It's like, how do we teach and invite our people to creatively participate in a time when everything about the experience looks and feels like content they're supposed to consume. And so uh, along those lines, I think that's a way to think about placing digital in the appropriate place. It's a helpful front door to invite people in, but really what we're looking for is not to simply exchange a commodity, but to invite them into more intimate spaces, um, shoulder to shoulder, where we can do life together and uh, become like Christ together. 
Yeah, and that's super helpful. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, One question as we finish up is maybe one or two resources that you would see as a good follow-up to your book. I know often as a writer, there's some books that really have informed you or kind of pushed you along. Uh, What are some books that you think would be helpful for people who might want to dig in past your book, Analog Church, uh, to learn a little bit more, to kind of see the effects of technology on our lives? Mm, That's great. Uh, There are so many. Um, Your work is one I would recommend. Um, But uh, uh, I guess one I would recommend would be Andy Crouch wrote a book several years ago called The TechWise Family. And he's sort of he's writing that book at the intersection of technology and the Christian family. And um, you know, so it's very different than my book along those lines. Uh, but it's super helpful and it's been, you know, transformative for me. And then another book, um, probably a couple of books I would recommend by the same author. It's not a Christian book, but it was incredibly informative for me as I was writing my book. Um, the writer Sherry Turkle, who I think is or was a professor at MIT has a couple of books, uh, one called Alone Together, which the title right there is is worth the price of admission, Alone Together, and then another book called Reclaiming Conversation, both by Sherry Turkle, um, and they're fantastic, really insightful and jarring in really important ways. Yeah, I definitely recommend listeners to check out those books, especially Turkle's work. Uh, She does a lot of really good work in these areas, kind of helping us, even from a non-Christian perspective, kind of understand some of the contours of living in community and what it means to be human in this digital age. Well, Jay, I just want to thank you so much for joining us here on Weekly Tech um, and want to recommend to listeners, make sure to grab this book. It's Analog Church, Why We Need Real People, Places, and Things in the Digital Age. It's out by IVP um, just a couple months ago, and I encourage listeners to go ahead and grab a copy of that. If you want to, you can grab the link in the show notes um, on this podcast episode. And Jay, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us this week, and I look forward to staying connected. Oh, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. I want to thank you for listening to this interview on Weekly Tech. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. And help us spread the word about Weekly Tech by sharing these episodes with friends and colleagues. As a reminder, you can also sign up for the weekly briefing on Weekly Tech at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech or subscribe to the podcast at jasonthacker.com slash podcast. Here you'll find show notes as well as the email newsletter version of this podcast where we dive into one big story for the week and then four to five different technology stories you should be aware of. The podcast comes out on Monday mornings and it'll help you prepare for the week ahead.